Okay, well, this is from uh, Iraq. Actually, I've just come out of Iraq, but a few thoughts regarding my time in Iraq. It's late September now. I was in Iraq at the time of the Rafidain conference, just after the visit of the French president to Baghdad, and have been talking to people there in various arenas related to Rafidain, that great conference that goes on once a year, but also in some private conversations. And so this is a bit of a mishmash of thoughts that came up during the spell I had in Iraq. So what touched my heart? Well, Baghdad, of course, hasn't much changed. It's still the same old Baghdad it was a couple of years ago when I was last there around this time of year. And that's reassuring, if nothing else. I mean, for goodness sake, you don't want everything to change. But there has been a terrible attrition rate from COVID. People have been dropping like flies. They've dropped like flies all over the world. The difference in Iraq is that the healthcare is not there. I mean, Iraq used to have the best healthcare in the Middle East, but not any longer, not since the fall of Saddam, certainly. Uh, not actually for some years before that, because the healthcare went down the tubes in the five years of heavy sanctions. So not easy, not good. And what that means is that, of course, there aren't the ventilators, there aren't the there isn't the equipment. It wasn't there under sanctions when we put sanctions on Iraq. Sanctions were not supposed to be on medical equipment, but effectively they, they, they amounted to that. Heavens, we even put sanctions on the graphite in pencils at one point. But uh, the, the consequences, of course, you, you get ill with COVID in Iraq, even though the vaccination is picking up if you if you get it and you're hospitalized goodbye charlie brown because they're not going to have the ventilators you need the supplies you need so that's the downside a lot of people are very aware of that and obviously people have lost relatives it's been hard in iraq but what hit me particularly when i was there was one particular Rafidain press conference event when the president of Iraq was speaking. You know the president of Iraq, Burham Saleh. He stunned me. You could have knocked me down with a feather. I mean, gosh, regarding the Syrian situation, he was going on and on and on and on. We're not talking five minutes. We're talking a solid 10 minutes, maybe, of what a 25 minute address to everybody present but televised everything you know what did he say iraq cannot ignore syria said the president of iraq in all my meetings with the leaders he's talking about the arab league leaders because it was an arab league conference of course uh, at the beginning of this month in baghdad in all my discussions with the leaders the discussion was about the syria issue I say to Europe and the world, yes to the Syrian people. This is the president of Iraq speaking. One million children were born in camps. In Idlib, tens of thousands of extremists are present. Iraq is concerned with Syria security-wise. It was tough that Iraq could not invite Syria to the Arab summit. A surprise for you, eh? Hear him say that. The Syrian situation was on the table. Iraq will support the Syrian people. We and the Syrians will be in one front against extremism. So we are one, Iraq and Syria. Wow. Now there's a surprise for you. I, I, you may be surprised you're not surprised. But this is wholesome, fulsome support from the government of Iraq for the government of Bashar al-Assad in Syria. 
He also, Baham Salah also talked about the elections, forthcoming elections in Iraq, you know. Big deal. We're trying to send an electoral monitoring team. Not so easy, by the way, because there isn't, despite the talk of helping foreign monitors, it's, you know, it's not there. Not the, uh, the UN is not providing the kind of support you would expect. The uh, British Embassy is supposed to have a special unit for this, but who can access it? You know, the British Embassy is like uh, hidden away. The, uh, there's very little international support, in my view, for these forthcoming elections, where you don't think like I think, but that's the way I see it. So what did the President of Iraq say? He said, these elections, God willing, will lead to an outcome which reflects the will of the Iraq people. Well, I hope they will. I mean, there's huge opportunity for fraud, isn't there? They're supposed to have a... <laughs> these uh, these biometric cards everybody's now supposed to vote with, and, and the German government is providing monitoring of the effectiveness of the machines and so on that are used for assessing the vote. Yeah, the difficulty is, of course, their monitoring is in secret. Oh, yes, secret reports to UNAMI, secret reports to the International Higher, I'm sorry, the Iraq Higher Electoral Commission. Well, you know, what help is that? If you're not going to give your statements in public, how can the people of Iraq trust you? Well, they can't, can they? Uh, you have a situation where are we going to use, what are we going to do? This, these things rely, these biometric cards rely primarily in polling stations on a mechanism by which you take the fingerprint of the voter. Well, come on. How's that going to work? In COVID, with Iraq falling apart with COVID, you're going to have fingerprint, 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 They'll suspend it. They're not going to do that. I don't think. Yeah, maybe they will. Risky, though, wouldn't you say? And if they suspend the fingerprint mechanism, then uh, the whole voting system is open for big-time fraud, I would say. Anyway, and they're not doing manual counts, except in a very tiny fraction of uh, the polling stations' checks. Why not? You've got the people there. Why can't they do manual counts with them? Let's hope they find it difficult or more difficult than in the past to fiddle the vote. We've had so much ballot stuffing, so much ballot rigging in Iraq from the outset, much of it under the eyes of, or, or, uh, if not if not encouraged by the the West. And that's interesting, interesting hearing Mohammed Halbousi, the speaker of the parliament, the, the darling of the Sunni community. He's, uh, Iraq has a, a Kurdish president and a um, Sunni speaker, and as a general rule, a Shiite prime minister. That's the convention, very Lebanese style. Mohammed al-Busi, al-Halbusi, young man, promoted and very ambitious young man, speaks well. And he was saying, we need early elections in response to the demonstrators' needs. Of course they do. Now the individual that gets the highest vote will win, which is different from previous elections, he says. Well, it is, in a way. I mean, previous elections, they had lists and um, bigger constituencies. And then he said, why can't a Sunni be foreign minister or president? That's well, a point, really. Why can't? Because they carve things up. They carve things up to keep the various factions quiet. And the Sunnis are at the bottom of the pecking order now, aren't they? Shiites at the top, Kurds next, Sunnis at the bottom. Used to be uh, the other way around, of course, under Saddam. Well, the Kurds were at the bottom, I suppose, under Saddam. Why can't a Sunni be foreign minister or president? In Iraq, said Halbusi, in Iraq we have Iranian interference. We have American interference in Lebanon. So it's the same sort of thing. 
They are interfering. You get that? Uh, of course you have American interference in Lebanon. American sanctions are crippling Lebanon, aren't they? In order to punish what? Punish Hezbollah? They're making Hezbollah more popular. Uh, they, they don't call them sanctions, do they, when it comes to Lebanon? But their banking controls, their banking controls are crushing the people of Lebanon into the ground. And Iran in Iraq? Iran is as oppressive as America in Lebanon, more so. More so because um, groups that answer to Iran go and shoot demonstrators in the back. And then Halbusi came out with a weird thing, didn't he? I mean, weird. I didn't like it. He's just playing to the gallery. He's a populist, really, when it comes down to it. Not a very honorable position to take. But anyway... Peace will not be permitted with Israel. Whatever others do, we will not normalize with this country, which is raping Palestine. Palestine is an Arab country, says Al-Busi. Oh, come on now. Peace has got to be the answer everywhere. I don't like this kind of language. It was just rabble-rousing for the gallery. You know, he got a cheer from those that were like-minded, but not helpful to my way of thinking. So he went down a notch or two in my estimation. Blimey, then we had the... Uh, another session I had. Uh, I was at with the Turkish ambassador to Iraq. That was an interesting one. Now, this man's name was uh, Mr. Ali Riza Gunny, G-U-N-E-Y. You know, the U with a couple of dots over the top. The ambassador of Turkey to Iraq, His Excellency Ali Riza Gunny. God, he was ramrod straight and proud and pompous. And what did Ambassador Ali Riza have to say? The PKK, the PKK, you know the PKK, the Kurdish group, separatist group is a threat to be eliminated from Iraq as soon as possible. We are positive. We are extending our helping hand to Iraq. Just do the same. In other words, Iraq should extend its helping hand to Turkey to kill the PKK. God, they, they really hate them, don't they? Our relationship with both Baghdad and the Kurdish regional government is continuing. There are some problems with the KRG, and the dialogue with them is getting more intense. Yeah, well, you would not surprising, is it? I mean, they 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 keep invading. The Turks keep sending down. I mean, they're right down in the Nineveh plain. They've taken Bashika as a military base on top of the military base they already have in Dahuk. They're getting oh too much. So back to the ambassador. What was he saying? The game is changing between the Iraq-Turkish relationship. It now requires coordination between Erbil and Baghdad. So <laughs> he's no longer happy. He's not happy with the, Kur the Kurds and the way they're behaving themselves. And he wants Baghdad to pull them into line and get them to crush the PKK more effectively. Yeah, well, there you go. That's Turkey for you. Who else was notable in this discussion? Well, I noted that Abdul Wahib Saadi, the head of the Iraq Counterterrorism Force, ICTS, they call it, the Iraq Counterterrorism uh, Service. He made a little speech in which he was saying, um, terrorism is any act that creates chaos 
and violates our sovereignty. So that was interesting to me. Terrorism is any act that creates chaos and violates our sovereignty. Interesting definition, don't you think, of terrorism? I mean, what's the conventional uh, view of terrorism? Terrorism is an attack on civilians, deliberate attack on civilians. That would be the conventional position, I would say. Of course, the international community doesn't define define terrorism by action, but ten, defines it by groups, which then becomes very shady, because you can say uh, this group or that group is a terrorist group, regardless. But in theory, at least, you're only going to declare a group a terrorist group if they attack civilians. But this is a slightly different definition from this uh, guy, Abdul Wahab Saadi. Terrorism is any act that creates chaos and violates our sovereignty. And he uses this because, of course, he wants to make sure that uh, Daesh is very much on the agenda uh, in the eyes of all Iraqis as a terrorist movement, Daesh, ISIS. And he said, I mean, he was, it was very clear his whole focus was about Daesh. This year we killed more than 270 ISIS fighters, well, thus far. Yeah, I'm sure they did. ISIS has killed quite a lot of Iraqis, too, this year. Sad that they're still a force to be reckoned with, but they are. Okay, well, that's a good point at which to pause. Let's pause there, and uh, because there's a lot more to say on Iraq. My goodness, there is. And I'll continue with another podcast on the same subject almost immediately. Thank you. Bye.